Our second reading is from 1 John 1 to 2, 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Good morning. Good to see you here, and good morning to those who are watching at home online. As Jeff said, we're starting a new series today in the letter of 1 John. It's going to take us six weeks up to Christmas. Uh, and so I hope it's uh, encouraging and edifying time for us. And I hope that uh, at the end of it, we do feel that we are more familiar with that part of God's word, with 1 John, and that it grows us in our trust in Jesus. Let's pray as we come to this bit of God's word again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent, that you have revealed yourself to us, and we thank you particularly for the revelation of your son Jesus and the witness to that that the Apostle John was. We pray that uh, you'll help us to be people who uh, heed his testimony, that we can take hold of the eternal life and the confidence that we have through trusting Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. A number of years ago now, I used to spend some time every week, one day every week, wandering around on the campus of the University of Western Sydney, trying to have conversations with people about Jesus, not here in Richmond, but over in the Parramatta campus. And as I did that each week, uh, I noticed a couple of things. A couple of things kind of surprised me. The first thing that surprised me was that as scared as I was doing that, every week, even though I, got, I was doing it every week, I started scared. But as scared as I was, people were not hostile to the idea that someone would come and try and talk to them about Jesus. And almost every time I went out, I ended up having a significant conversation with someone who did want to talk to me about Jesus. 
That was the first thing that kind of surprised me. The second thing that surprised me was that hardly any of those people that I spoke to wanted to deny that God exists. That seemed to be a given for them, that God, that God is there, he is real. Not many people wanted to argue about that, but what they did want to discuss and debate and argue with me about was to convince me why they didn't need Jesus in order to be accepted by God. They wanted to, to be confident and to convince themselves and me that they were fine with God just as they are without Jesus. Now, as I spoke to them, most of them hadn't put a lot of thought into that conviction, that opinion. Uh, they were just kind of expressing their thoughts in the moment. But for people who do actually put some significant thought into that question, we realise that it is actually an important question. How can I know that God accepts me? And as I said, most of those uni students weren't really grappling with that question personally in the moment that I was speaking to them. They just wanted to argue about it and justify themselves. But for most people, I think, at least at some time in their lives, that does become a significant question. Or perhaps a better way to put it is most people at some times in their lives realise that that is a significant question. How can I be sure and confident that God accepts me? And in my experience, that actually can also be an ongoing question for Christians. It's a question that we come back to often and want to have confidence in. And I think that question is really the, a big part of why John wrote this letter. And at the end of his letter, in chapter 5, verse 13, he says his purpose for writing. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to people who have put their trust in Jesus, who believe in the name of the Son of God, but other people were saying to them, no, you've got it wrong. You don't know God. You don't have fellowship with God. You're not accepted by God. And they're trying to undermine their confidence that they are accepted by God. And so that question of assurance, of being accepted by God, really does kind of flavour that, that kind of drives this letter. How can I know that God accepts me? How can I have fellowship with God in that intimate sense that he will welcome me into his home, so to speak, and importantly, welcome me into his eternal life? And so as we go through this letter over the coming weeks leading up to Christmas, that's going to be in the background as we're looking at it, sometimes even in the foreground, the, the confidence that we can have as people who trust in Jesus. But as we think about that confidence, there is a challenge that comes with it. It's a challenge to look at our own lives and to make sure that we are the person whose life is consistent with someone who genuinely does walk hand in hand with the God of the universe, with someone who can call God my father, with someone who knows that God accepts me. And we're going to see those exact issues coming up in this first little bit that we're looking at today. So that's our introduction to the letter of 1 John. And our first paragraph in verses 1 to 4 raises the question of having fellowship with God. John says he's writing this so that we may have fellowship with him whose fellowship is with God the Father. And in particular, John is telling us in these first four verses that he, John, is authorised to speak about these things. He has the credentials to speak about these things. 
He has the authority, he is the authority, sorry, on how we can know and have a relationship with God. And the reason that he's an authority on that is because he's got first-hand experience with God in this world. Have a look from verse 1 now with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We have seen and heard this. We have touched it with our hands, he says. We are first-hand experiences, uh, witnesses of God in our world. And what he's talking about is he has witnessed the life of Jesus. And he's written about it in his gospel, in the gospel of John. And if you're familiar with the gospel of John, you might notice that there are some words here that remind us of the gospel of John at the beginning and at the end of John's gospel. And particularly how John ends his gospel with the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 1 here is full of language of John's being eyewitness to the resurrection. What we have seen with our eyes, he says, we have looked at and our hands have touched. He's talking about the encounter that they had with the resurrected Jesus and it makes me think of John 24 and that famous apostle Thomas who's known for being Doubting Thomas. You know that expression, right? Doubting Thomas. He got that name because he wasn't there when the other apostles first saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he said, I don't believe that. Kind of, it seems like the Aussie Thomas said, I don't believe that unless I see it. Unless I see with my eyes and unless I touch where the nails went and where the spear went, I'm not going to believe it. And then the very next week, Jesus appeared again. And Thomas was there that time and he said, Thomas, look, touch. Put your hands where the spear went and your fingers where the, nail, the nails were. You can see, stop doubting and believe. You see, Thomas and John and the rest of the apostles, they had the unique task of being witnesses to God in our world witnesses to what God had done through Jesus so they could say yes this is true believe it he says we saw with our eyes we heard with our ears we touched with our hands this is true and so the simple message really of these first few verses in John's letter here is listen to us listen to me he says in verse 4 we are the ones who have fellowship with God and we want you to be a part of that fellowship too and you see at the end of verse 4, he says, this brings him great joy. It brings him great joy to see people come and join them in their fellowship with God. And so he wants to make sure that we listen to this message and not listen to other wrong ideas about how we think we can know God. Other wrong ideas about how we think we can have confidence before God. It may scratch where we itch, it may be what we want to hear. But John says, no, listen to what we have to say, because we have seen it, we have heard it, we have touched him. This is what God says about how we can know him. So it's not a time for speculation, it's, not, it's a time for hearing God's voice. And so we need to listen to it. That's how John begins his letter, with the authority of someone who has witnessed God in our world. And the first point we're going to see about what he has to say about this message from verse 5 on onwards 
is God is light. And so walking with God, having fellowship with God, is incompatible with walking in darkness. Let me read from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now, I suspect that that language of light and darkness, walking in the light and walking in the darkness, naturally makes us think of of good and evil, of, of good deeds and bad deeds, of good thoughts and bad thoughts, of good actions and bad actions, and that's true, it should. The idea that dark deeds are done in the darkness, done under the cover of, of dark, but the light of day exposes evil. There is no place for evil in the light of day. It's kind of like cockroaches on the kitchen bench at night. You, know, you turn on the light and they go scurrying into the dark corners under the fridge. I mean, I don't know what those cockroaches are up to in the darkness of night, but I'm pretty sure it's evil. Right, We can agree on that. They're up to no good. They're not cooking you breakfast, I'm sure. And so as soon as, as soon as you turn on the light, they run for cover. The light exposes them. They don't want to be found. Darkness is a place for evil, but the light exposes that evil for what it is. And obviously, that's just a joke about the cockroaches, but it's less funny when we talk about real things, right? I mean, I haven't looked at the statistics, but I'm sure that the police are more busy at night, right? Or maybe I'll ask Jeff later on. I'm sure there is more that they have to deal with when people are getting up to things under the cover of darkness. And perhaps more significantly for us, as we reflect on this for ourselves, I'm sure if we are at all self-aware that we know that sin thrives in the secrecy of darkness, in the secrecy of hiding, where no one is watching us and we get up to what others don't know about. Sin is like mushrooms in that sense. It thrives in the dark. But light exposes these things, things that we want to keep hidden. And I I suspect I perhaps don't even need to mention what those things might be for you. Maybe it's those things that we get up to on the computer when no one is looking. Or the secret things that we cherish in our hearts, the secret thoughts that we cherish in our hearts that no one else sees, the desires that we keep hidden. You know better than I do what those things might be for you. And God says to us, those are the things that have no place in the light of God's light. Walking in the light and walking in the darkness is a comment about sin. That sin is a walking in the darkness thing and not sinning is a walking in the light kind of thing, which is why he says that his reason for writing this in chapter 2, verse 1, is that we will not sin. My dear children, I write this, this to you so that you will not sin. John wants us to know right up front that God cares about how we live, that there are some things that God calls evil, that he calls walking in the darkness, And that living that way is fundamentally incompatible with fellowship with God. God and sin simply do not mix, like light and darkness do not mix. And so you can't claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness. Because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, I suspect that as we hear that, 
it, it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? And even to people who don't read the Bible, I've experienced, are often very quick to say, but God is love. And as I was speaking to people on the university campus at Western Sydney, people would say that to me, but God is love. And that's true. In fact, those actual words come from John himself, just over the page in my Bible. God is love. But more often than not, when people mention that God is love, what they mean by that is God has no standards. That in the end, nothing matters because God overlooks everything. But on the very same page almost where he says God is love, John also says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And we can't have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness. And so we need to hear that and feel the weight of that, particularly if we, feel in, if we are inclined to that idea of cheap grace, that idea that God is like a, a kind but foolish old man who is easily fooled, He's easy to kind of go behind his back. He doesn't notice. He doesn't care. You can pull the wool over his eyes. No, he says, God is light, that searching light where nothing can hide, that exposes evil and shows it for what it is. The light of God is completely incompatible with the darkness of sin. That's the first point that John wants us to hear, that God is light, incompatible with sin, But the next point we're going to see is the confidence that comes from walking in the light. And I've tried to make us hear, first of all, that John is making a big deal that walking in the light is about, and the darkness is about our behaviour, and that we can't walk in the darkness and know God. But as we hear that with the clarity that's intended, the end of verse 7 might come as a surprise to us. Because it tells us that for the person who walks in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It doesn't say, did you notice, the person who walks in the light has no sin, but that we are purified from our sin by the blood of Jesus. And he expands on this idea at the end of our passage in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. From the middle of verse 1, he says, If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is, his death paid the price for our sin. Jesus stood in our place and took the anger that God has at our sin on himself so that we don't have to take it on us. And now Jesus stands before our God, our Father, and says, this one is with me. This one trusts in my blood. And so he can have fellowship with us. And this is the amazing confidence that is freely available, he says, for every single person in the world. This is the message that John is overjoyed to share with us. Because it brings us into fellowship with him and to the God of the universe. This is the wonderful truth that God has revealed about how we can know him about how we can have confidence before him. And it's the point that John wants to drill home to us. The person who walks in the light, the person who truly knows God, is the person who has been cleansed from our sin by the blood of Jesus. And finally, I want us to to think about how those two ideas that we've just been talking about go together. 
that there is no place for sin and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. And I think the reason these things go together is because it gives us the confidence, the blood of Jesus gives us the confidence to live an examined life, a life where we look closely at ourselves. He says in verse 8, that part of walking in the light means that we'll be open with God about our sin, not denying it, not minimising it, that we bring it to God with the confidence of forgiveness, that we confess it to him. Let me read from verse 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We know that God and sin don't mix. We know that darkness cannot be in the light. But if our solution to that problem that I have sin, if my desire to feel like I'm okay with God means that I hide my sin, that I excuse it, that I downplay it, that I minimise it, and God says, what I'm doing there is I'm deceiving myself. I'm closing my eyes to the truth and believing a lie. And worse than that, I'm calling God a liar because he says that I do sin. Verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I mean, think about it. God went to the most extreme lengths because he said that we have a problem with sin and it needs to be dealt with and he took the cost of that. It cost him dearly. So if we deny that or minimise the significance of that, then we are actually standing in the face of God and calling him a liar and saying, you might as well not have bothered because I don't really have that problem. And John is saying to us, don't be that person. Denying our sin is a walking in the darkness kind of thing. It rejects the forgiveness that, Jesus, that God offers in Jesus. And actually, what it does is, it leads us to more sin. It leads us to continue in sin. It's kind of like trying to clean something in the dark. I don't know if you've ever tried to clean something in the dark, but you tend not to do a very good job of it, right? We've, I experienced this recently. We've been trying to teach our kids to do some household chores so they can learn how to do that kind of thing. And as you might expect, when they first try it, they don't do a very good job. Recently, one of my kids had a go at cleaning the shower. And I went in afterwards, and I, I, I swear, I felt like it was dirtier than it was before. <laughs> And I found myself thinking, did you clean this in the dark? Because there's still heaps there. Now, obviously, that's not a big deal when it comes to cleaning the shower, but it is a big deal when it comes to cleaning the sin out of our life. An unexamined life is not going to identify and remove those things that do not belong. And as I said, this is where the forgiveness that we have fits with the purpose of chapter 2, verse 1. I write this so that you will not sin. Because the confidence of walking in the light is that we can have this confidence to examine ourselves, to examine ourselves before God and to look closely at what needs to change and not be afraid of that. Because if you have the confidence that God is going to forgive you, then you can afford to be honest about it. You can afford to be open about it. And in fact, we can ask God to shine his searching light into our hearts so that we can bring things before him and confess it to him 
and turn from it. We can be like that psalm that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and find anything that is evil in me and lead me in the right path. That's the prayer of someone who is confident of forgiveness. And that leads to a changed life. And what it actually looks like, I think, is that we become more aware of our sin. We become more conscious of it, more sensitive to it. It sits less comfortably with us. And I thought I just might finish by reflecting on this a little bit and what what this can look like. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in a Bible study and I was... We were talking about some things to do with things that we're struggling with, and I mentioned that I felt like I was struggling with sin in certain areas of my life that I didn't used to. And I was a bit discouraged about that, and I was talking about that and and asking for prayer about it. And one of my friends said to me, well, you know, it may be that it's not that you're struggling with things that you didn't used to. It may be that you just didn't realise it before. You were struggling with it before, but it just wasn't an issue. It was unexamined for you. You were, you were happily oblivious to carrying on with these things in your life that were not okay, but you just didn't really think about it then. And now as you mature and you grow, now you notice it more. And whether that was true, particularly in my case or not, that's what walking in the light looks like, that we become more conscious of sin so that we can turn from it. It gives us confidence to live that examined life so that we are willing to look closely at our lives, at our actions, at our thoughts, at our motives, not so that we can be filled with unhelpful remorse, that we can tear ourselves up and feel paralysed by guilt and self-pity, but so that we can confess it to God and turn from it. That's the practice, that's the character of someone who walks in the light someone who has confidence in the saving and and cleansing blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you do know our hearts. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you also, Father, know our inclination to want to hide from those things in us that we are perhaps ashamed of, that we perhaps don't want you to see. But Father, please so fill us with the knowledge and confidence of the truth of your love for us in Jesus that sent him as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, whose blood washes away our sin. So fill us with the confidence of that, that we can be self-reflective in this regard, that we can be open to you in this matter so that we confess our sins to you and so that we turn from it. And Father, we ask that this will lead us into a life that is free of those things that once used to um, weigh us down. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.